With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Taking no prisoners, this is Unleashed with Mark Morano on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. Well, we're going to start with some breaking news first, and then I'm going to go into uh, some award ceremony for Climate Hypocrite of the Year. But let's start with that. We also have a guest tonight, Sterling Burnett of the Heartland Institute. And we're going to do a deep dive into climate, energy, environment policy. He's a, a font of knowledge. I think you'll enjoy that. Breaking news is Ron DeSantis. I'll give you my lowdown on Ron DeSantis belongs in the governor's hall of fame and can't even get out of the minors in the presidential campaign. But because he's in that governor's hall of fame, one of the greatest things he did was point a uh, point as his surgeon, the Florida surgeon general, Joseph Latipo, uh, Harvard educated uh, doctor. And here's what he's done. Now, this is the breaking news. Florida Surgeon General calls for a complete halt of the use of MRNA COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, and this is just fantastic, courageous, not like make your own decision or, you know, you could talk to your doctor or we're not going to mandate it. He's just calling for the end of it. And here's why. I'm calling for a halt to the use of mRNA vaccines. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration, Center for Disease Control, have always played it fast and loose with COVID-19 uh, vaccine safety. But their failure to test for DNA integration with the human genome as their own guidelines dictate when the vaccines are known to be contaminated with foreign DNA is intolerable. So he is literally calling, and this is as of December. Uh, I'm sorry, this is not December, but this is as of today. I just got this alert from Dr. Robert Malone, who I'd love to have on as a guest for this program. Uh, in the spirit of transparency and si scientific integrity, State Surgeon General Lapido will continue to assess research around the risks and provide updates. So that's impressive. Uh, and I'm very happy to see, because as I mentioned, no one in my family got it. My 93-year-old mother didn't. I went to the nursing home to fight for my 97-year-old aunt not to get the second vaccine, a COVID vaccine, in quotes. Uh, they gave her the first one. She was actually you know, so, so on it. She worked for NIH. She had worked with Anthony Fauci um, and refused the second one. And then, you know, she got COVID like six months after without asymptomatic completely. Uh, and she had, had, she had not had the first vaccine shot it was probably a year and a half or two years almost prior by the time she got COVID. Anyway, um, so happy to see the Florida Sur Surgeon General doing that. And we need more of that kind of courageous because the biggest thing we need to do in, a, in the world and in America is dismantle the public health tyranny. And of course, it's going the opposite way. And I'm looking into a possible trip to Geneva, Switzerland, I believe it's April or I'm sorry, late May for this uh, WHO annual conference where they're going to be discussing the pandemic treaty. Okay. I wanted to play uh, some segments here that I didn't get to yesterday, so we're going to have some fun with this. This is um, me on Fox News. This is clips from yesterday, clip one, and it's me talking about the Biden administration bypassing democracy. I think this is a fun clip. This is part. This is clip clip one held over from yesterday, which was, I guess, yeah, 
part two, part one on Fox. Roll tape. Let's see if we got the right one here. There's so many different clips here. The survival of our civilization is at stake. And it sounds dire, but it is dire. And, and But again, the good news is we can reclaim control of our destiny if we summon the, the political will and the courage and the moral courage to do it. We just have to break the political power that the fossil fuel industry has uh, exerted with its fixers and its lobbyists and its bags of money and its revolving door colleagues. Joining us is the executive editor of ClimateDepot.com, Mark Morano. Mark, good to see you again and Merry Christmas to you. I find this fascinating that Al Gore has the audacity to talk about the power grab um, and the political power of fossil fuel companies when all of these greenies, that's all they're about is a huge power grab taking away Americans' freedom and putting it in their pockets. It's outrageous. Yeah, when you see Al Gore go off on a tantrum, he was talking about one billion climate refugees. Make no mistake about it. Not cli- it's climate policy, not climate change, that is going to drive migration. And the same was true with COVID, by the way. People in droves leaving California to other states. What we're finding is people in Sri Lanka followed climate policy to the collapse of their government, to their presidential palace was overrun. The farmers in Sri and the Netherlands were subjected to climate policy, and they almost crushed all the small family-run farms. Make no mistake, Al Gore is talking about the world converting to where he and his friends at the United Nations, at the World Economic Forum, and now the World Health Organization are going to control our food and agricultural decisions, our transportation decisions, whether it's the gas-powered car bans, and of course, all of our energy decisions. So make no mistake, it's the climate policy that, that poses a threat, not climate change. When you see all those headlines and all the media at the end of the year, what they're doing is they're selling fear. No different than what they did during COVID, because when you're afraid, you make poor decisions, and you allow authoritarians to take over. That's exactly what we're witnessing here with this juiced scientific claims as well. Yes, and it is juice scientific claims. Who was that guy? That was really, oh, that was me. Sorry about that. Anyway, that was a great clip. Um, I I want to show you one other clip on that, but I want to mention something that Al Gore said. He, He was making it sound as though anyone opposed to this agenda is funded by big oil. First of all, big oil, big energy, they're all in on this whole stupid green agenda. And what do I mean by that? You have ExxonMobil giving uh, Stanford University $100 million to study how uh, climate change. You have the natural gas industry giving the Sierra Club almost $30 million to, to trash talk coal so that natural gas could get even more favorable regulations. They're using a left wing environmental group to do that. You have ExxonMobil supporting UN Paris climate treaties. You have every single major oil giant. I can't think of even any that oppose it, even smaller or mid-range. The climate agenda, the green agenda, they will never stand up to it. They do all the virtue signaling. They're for all the regulations. They're even because they know they can absorb the costs, particularly the larger the company. And all these young activists who think we're going to stick it to the man, we're going to throw paint on, you know, cl- we're going to destroy or we're going to vandalize classic art or we're going to block traffic or we're going to, you know, glue ourselves to something. And they think they're sticking it to the man. They're being financed by Getty, Rockefeller, Hollywood millionaires, the epitome of the establishment. They are to- they think they're being countercultural rebels when all they're doing 
is doing the bidding of the ruling class. And that is what I find moronic, stupid, and just idiotic to watch idiotic to watch on any level. And Al Gore is still trying to push that, like anyone opposed to this has to be bought off. No, anyone for it has to be literally scientifically illiterate and they have to be uh, just gullible to believe that the government's going to do X, Y, Z, and we're going to have less storms. And and the idea that this whole agenda, that everything Gore's laying out, everything Kerry's laying out, the UN, the Green Deal, it's all about the people at the top getting more power over energy, transportation, food supply, money supply, and free speech. That's what it's about. We're in a crisis. We have to live like we're in a crisis, according to them. Therefore, we need extreme measures and we can't expect the usual prosperity and life that we've come accustomed to. That's what's incredible. And here's part two of my clips. This is on the bottom line, Fox Business, where I expand a little bit about how they're doing this without a vote. Clip two. But Mark, don't you think that this climate change agenda would be better served by you know putting a... a feasible transition process into play that actually consumers could deal with, that you could actually let consumer demand catch up to in order to make this work rather than just virtue signaling. Yeah, well, there's two. I mean, also, we have to ask ourselves, do we need to do do we need to abolish the gas power car? We, we never voted on it in the United States. We never had a vote. It's all been decided with executive order, mid-level bureaucrats, corporate government collusion, executive agencies. Do we need to start limiting meat eating? That's the other question. The answer is no to both. But even if you believed it, you're absolutely right. You would have democracy involved. You would have people voting. You would have timetables. But I'm not arguing we should do that. I'm arguing we need to challenge this entire premise. They are using climate fear to literally restrict and collapse energy, agriculture, transportation, go right after our freedom of movement. And Al Gore and the World Economic Forum, when, when they had this UN summit right after, there was a peer-reviewed study saying that human breath contributes to warming. They're going after what we breathe now, and they actually even injected identity politics into it. That's the absurdity. They're saying now that Africans have more warming agents in their breath than Asians, and women have more warming agents in their breath than men. So, you know, it's an incredible thing that they're trying to do. I say we take a pause, go after the entire net, uh, net zero agenda. Now, interesting. Did you notice there that the questionnaire, now this is Fox broadcast and she was a guest host actually on this show, The Bottom Line. That was Sean Duffy. But uh, the woman whose name I actually can't remember at the moment because she was a guest host, not usually on that show. There's a whole agenda on Wall Street where they sort of want to accept the narrative and they want to control the narrative and they they want it to be somewhat. And then, of course, they break the, on the narrative when it comes like for the EV mandates, when they get close, Wall Street will start pushing back. But generally, Wall Street wants to get along and go along. And you, that was sort of reflected in that question. Like, shouldn't we just have more time to do this transition? It's like, no, we shouldn't be doing this transition at all. And that's the whole point I'm trying to make. Not that we should be you know, doing it, you know, oh, a little bit, we need more time or they need to be more understanding that we're trying to keep up. We want to do the right thing for the planet. But anyway, that's just interesting stuff, little dynamics there. Well, I got more. Uh, if you thought I was done, I got something. This was the big um, piece de resistance. I was on Fox and Friends. I alluded to this yesterday. And I was on doing the the uh, Climate Hypocrite Award. So we're going to have some fun here. I'm going to start. This is part one. 
clip one. This is me and Rachel Campos Duffy on Fox and Friends. And they had me do the whole segment. They basically gave me carte blanche. Uh, I had my designers in there. You'll see my outfit. They, I, I wrote the segment, uh, although it was it was done off of, it was done off of notes. And they allowed me to pick all the winners and do the whole ending. And they allowed me the entire pretty much to talk the entire segment, which was fun. Uh, an unusual Fox News segment for me. Usually, it's about a breaking news event or something. So anyway, part one. Fox News Channel Climate Hypocrite of the Ward ceremony. Let's roll tape. So who tops the list of biggest climate hypocrites this year? Well, our next guest can name a few. Climate Depot <laughs> publisher Mark Morano joins us now in a very snazzy red suit. There you go. I'm ready to celebrate. <laughs> These are the award ceremony. I love it. We got we got to take this serious. I take award ceremonies very seriously. Good. So who <laughs> who is who tops this Oscar? Well, I was going to say, why don't we start at the bottom and then we'll work our okay. way up. I, I think like we it. start with King Charles. I think uh, King Charles flew to the COP28 UN Climate Summit in a private jet. And he just last year did the Terracotta, which ter the Terra Charter, which is the Earth Charter, which is going to give nature rights over humans. In other words, he's going to grant nature, trees, lakes, rivers, equal rights to humans. At the same time, uh, King Charles, formerly Prince Charles, is issuing climate tipping points. And here's the thing, Rachel. He has servants reportedly iron his shoelaces and he travels with a portable toilet. So I think he's probably <laughs> the last person on planet Earth who should be lecturing us about climate change. You know, I, it's so funny because the, the thing about all these people is they're all really weird. They're weirdos. Um, so continue. Who's next on the list? <laughs> The UN COP28, the climate summit itself, was the largest carbon footprint in the history of climate summits. I've been to 18 out of the last 20 of these summits all over the world. This one had almost uh, over 100,000 participants, filled the runways with private jets. The UK had three different high government officials arrive in three separate private jets. But that wasn't all, Rachel. While CNN was telling us we needed carbon passports to travel, us, the unwashed masses, the UN climate, and they were restricting our meat, as John Kerry announced, wants to go after agriculture. They were serving Wagyu beef, Philly cheese steaks. <laughs> they had lavish restaurants serving. There were no insects on the menu and there was no Bill Gates lab grown meat either. Uh, yeah. And by the way, I'm wearing a smoking jacket from the 1980s. At least that's when I acquired it. I believe I acquired it used. I, I was having some fun with that. Uh, and so that was, those are my first two nominees. And let's, um, yeah, I, I think Bill uh, King Charles is incredibly deserving of this honor. I alluded to the tipping points. Well, earlier in 2023, he actually had a new climate clock tipping point. Remember, King Charles, and actually, I, I'll, I'll try to show this either tomorrow or next year, a clip from Climate Hustle. He actually came up with the 100-month climate tipping point back in 2007 or 8, and he actually counted down. We have 90 months, we have 84 months, we have... And then when he got to zero, he basically said, you know what, it's now 2047. And then that wasn't enough. So now he's come up with a new one that's like, I think it's another eight years or 12 years or something, which I'll find the clip of that. Uh, he, he just cannot decide how many years left. Okay, let's go to clip two, continue with these Climate Hypocrite of the Year awards as seen on Fox News. Clip two. Uh, is, is none other than Bill Gates himself. Bill Gates has literally been the world's largest carbon footprint. He's pushed for longer lockdowns the same weeks he's been for COVID, the same weeks he was pushing for... Uh, 
bidding on the world's largest private jet transport company. And Bill Gates has a $43 million oceanfront home, and he's got a $30,000 a month electricity bill. Again, this guy has no business lecturing anyone on climate change. Yeah, and Bill Gates richly deserving this award, but he was edged out. And now let's go. Uh, drum roll, please. Here's the winner of this Climate Hypocrite of the Year Award, as seen in my segment on Fox News. The winner is John Kerry. And John Kerry <laughs> gets this award easily for the end of 2023. We have to announce it. John Kerry gets it because he stood before Congress at a hearing and was grilled by congressmen where he repeatedly said, I don't own a private jet. I've never owned a private jet. And it wasn't until about 45 minutes later that a congressman grilled him and said, well, wait a minute, your wife owned private jets for decades and then finally sold it when the media came out negative. And John Kerry was forced to say, oh, oh yes, uh, my wife owns one. And, uh, yes, I've flown in her private jets. Yeah. I don't know if that's not lying to Congress. I'm not sure what is. So John Kerry gets the award. <laughs> Let's celebrate that. You don't see very hypocrites as often as him. And, and that's true. Now, to show you the basis for this John Kerry Award of uh, the Climate Hypocrite of the Year, let's show the next clip, which is John Kerry at the congressional hearing where he's claiming he doesn't own a jet. He's never owned a private jet and then forced to admit his wife owns one. Roll tape. So uh, I just don't agree with your facts, which began with the presentation of one of the most outrageously persistent lies that I hear, which is this private jet. We don't own a private jet. I don't own a private jet. I personally have never owned a private jet. And obviously, it's pretty stupid to talk about coming in a private jet from the State Department up here. It just honestly, if that's where you want to go, go there. A few moments later. You uh, just testified under oath that you never owned a private jet. Mr. Chairman, I'd like to enter into the record uh, article here from February 15th of 2023. The John Kerry family private jet was sold shortly after accusations of climate hypocrisy. Uh, Mr. Secretary, do you stand by that testimony Not that you've never I, owned or I personally, your family? I your family? personally, yes, my wife owned a plane. <laughs> My jumbo jet, smashing baby. Ooh. That's not mine. That's not mine. Cause I believe in the jet. But yes, my wife owned the plane. What a great compilation they put together there. Um, and there you have it. I personally have never owned a climate jet. Well, yes, my wife is over, but I personally have never done it. I mean, incredible. And he was under oath, according to the congressman there. So what an incredible moment for a public figure to go in there with such confidence to say, I've never owned a private jet. I don't own a private jet. And you notice what he also said. This is Bill Clinton level parsing. We don't own a private jet. So what he's saying there is by we, he's talking about he and his wife because they were just sold it. He didn't say we never owned a private jet. He says, we don't own one, but they had just sold it very recently because of the allegations of climate hypocrisy. Anyway, richly deserved uh, award there. There's one last clip of this, Fox, and it's the, the honorable mention. This is the positive award. Abigail Disney, heir to the Disney fortune. Here's what she, here's what I had to say about her. Roll one last final note, and sure. this is an actual positive award. 
Abigail Disney, the Disney Harris. We've got to give her props. She has come out and stopped flying private jets. She is one of the wealthiest heiresses in the world to the Disney fortune. She now wants to ban private jets for the 1% wealthiest people in the world. And I say she's got it right. We need to support Abigail Disney, the Disney Harris, because any of these climate rules they come up with should apply to the John Kerry's and the Bill Gates and the King Charles first. Let's experiment with how they can do bans on travel, bans on meat eating, insect eating, and only then could we consider the rest of us. And let's let's support yeah. what the, the Disney Harris is Sadly, doing. Sadly, all of these bans will do nothing <laughs> to uh, solve the so-called pri- uh, uh, climate problem. All this is doing is impoverishing Americans, impoverishing the yes. third world, um, causing more hunger and famines. So it's it's all it's funny because they're hypocrites and and it's so obvious it's sad because it has real world consequences on on people's families and lives Uh, mark i love how you always bring this to our attention um wishing you (laughs) a happy new year um and thanks for joining us so there you go abigail disney now actually would like to expand on that to the extent like when france banned flights for two and a half hours or less in may of 2023 last year I would have liked to have seen all private jet travel banned first. I'd like to see all limousine travel banned or heavily restricted. I would like to see parties, receptions, and any kind of events that cater to them restricted meat and restricted. If you're ever going to do any regulations, anything should apply to the wealthy first because they're the ones who are promoting it and they're the ones that should have to live with it and they should be the test case. Uh, You know, remember Bill Gates during the week of COVID, uh, this was January, 2021, was calling for longer lockdowns to fight COVID. At the same time, he was bidding uh, on the world's largest private jet transport company. He was flying around the world doing whatever he wanted. He wouldn't, didn't have to wear a mask on his plane. He didn't have to get a vaccine to fly uh, on his plane. He could just hop on it and he wanted to have this whole private fleet. So this is where they're headed, where, where the seaside vacation is going to be the dominion of the wealthy. And that's what even people like Bloomberg News have admitted, climate compliance costs. Okay, we're out of time. When I mean, we're out of time for this segment. We are gonna take a break. And when we come back, we're gonna be joined by Sterling Burnett, of the Heartland Institute. And Sterling Burnett is gonna, we're gonna go through all this entire climate agenda. He's the director of the Arthur B. Robinson Center on Climate and Environment. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. Stay tuned. TNT Radio's James Freeman. We have new revised figures from the Office for National Statistics showing that legal, that's not illegal, that's legal, net migration to the UK has witnessed one of the largest increases on record. Three quarters of a million additional people are now living in the UK in the space of just one year. A huge number that comes just three years after we left the European Union. Now, I didn't vote for Brexit because of immigration. I voted because of democracy, but millions did vote because they think too many people are coming into the country, which makes what the government has allowed to happen an absolute two fingers up to the people and democracy. Another example, if we needed another, of how the government does the exact opposite to what the people want and vote for. The Freeman Report and James Freeman on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Here's a bushfire fact. Bushfires can occur without warning. So if you're traveling during bushfire season, here are three simple steps to remember. One, check the fire danger rating before you go. 
The higher the fire danger rating, the more dangerous the conditions. It may be safer to replan your trip. 2. Think about the area you're going to and what you would do if a fire started. How would you escape the area if you needed to? And where would you go? Check if there's a neighbourhood safer place. 3. It's dangerous to drive through smoke or fire. If you can't find a way to avoid the fire, park in a cleared area, face the car towards the fire and turn the engine off. Then lie on the floor and cover yourself to protect yourself from radiant heat. Live bushfire ready. For more helpful tips, visit myfireplan.com.au today. If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. Well, we're joined now by Sterling Burnett, the director of the Arthur B. Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy. And he's also the managing editor of Heartland's Environment and Climate News. Welcome to the program, Sterling. It's good to be on, Mark. I'm glad that you actually have a, a live on-air uh, program. Sadly, I was not aware <laughs> until now. Oh, great. Well, uh, we hope to have you on again. Let's, let's talk about your specialty. You're at the Heartland Institute, which is uh, based in, I guess, Chicago. And tell us a little bit about what you've been working on specifically, and also where you see 2024 going in your world of the energy yeah. debate as it relates to climate. Well, you know, as long as, um, as long as, as long as there's a federal government involved in environmental stuff, I've got pretty much job security in the sense of I'll always have plenty to cover and work on. Um, with the Biden administration, uh, stuff is coming down fast and furiously, um, almost too much to keep up with. But um, lately, I've been doing a lot of stuff on electric vehicles. Uh <laughs> I've been writing about this for a few years now, how they are uh, not, uh, not only are they not ready for prime time, uh, but uh, there was an old book written by um, uh, the guy who ran for president, uh, consumer advocate, I forget, but he wrote a book called Unsafe at, Ralph Nader. Yeah. Yeah, He he wrote a book called Unsafe at Any Speed about the Corvair and how it was such a dangerous vehicle. Well, electric vehicles are unsafe at no speed. Just sitting around, they're unsafe. (laughs) So uh, any other product who had the safety record of electric vehicles, it would have been pulled from the market by now and lawsuits would have been filed. EVs yeah. are getting uh, getting off the hook on all this stuff. And then Talk I've been a doing bit. a lot of work. So, sure. go ahead. Well, no, go ahead. You're doing a lot of work on my Let's go. I'm also doing a lot of work on, uh, uh, you know, offshore wind and its impact on the North Atlantic right whale, which is an endangered species. You know, environmentalists are supposed to care about endangered species, uh, that, that's supposed to want them to recover. The Endangered Species Act is in many ways uh, the strongest land, the strongest law in the United States. And yet they're just waving. The, the, the whales are washing up daily. And they say, oh, well, there's no proof it's offshore wind. Well, what's changed? Well, mm-hmm. offshore wind. Uh, the sound <laughs> yeah. that they make while they're trying to cite offshore wind, the sound that they're doing while they're trying to construct offshore wind, and how do wells communicate and navigate? Sound. So if the Navy's doing it, yeah. oh, it's bad for whales. If oil and gas is doing it, oh, it's bad for whales. If offshore wind is doing it, oh, no, it has no impact on whales. 
<laughs> well, we'll get into that and find out why. Why are they such a? Why is offshore the protected industry, and why they people can't speak up about why the environmentalists are so so weak in standing up to that? There's a few coming around. Uh, you know, we've met with some in New Jersey and along yep. the East Coast, but they're few and far between still. Uh, you know, as a group, and even the Demo you know, it's Republican mayors who are opposing that. Well, looking at the big green energy picture, first of all. If you look back, remember Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor of California. I guess it was 2006. He signed the what was it? ARB, AR, whatever the, his climate bill. He was hailed as a climate hero. But uh, we're past the point now where the, you can hail these people as as climate heroes because everything they're doing now is we're feeling the impact. So you have across America now the solar and wind subsidies exponentially increasing probably decades in the future with this inflation reduction act what exactly yep. is going on with american energy because if you watch the mainstream media if you listen to climate activists i just saw al gore on cnn last week he's literally making it sound as though solar is coming online much more than fossil fuels it's cheaper that we're about to have this entire revolution and the only thing holding it back is the old the, the oil industry and the big energy fossil fuel industry is preventing this what's the truth on that in terms of big picture well you know, look big picture is this there's a lot of solar coming on there's a lot of wind coming on because if you subsidize it it will come they'll build it yeah right and uh so he's 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 right about that whether it is cheaper he's just wrong we can look at every state who is adding solar and wind who has renewable for energy yeah. mandates the higher your mandate the higher your energy cost now if it's cheaper if you're building all this stuff that's cheaper why are your energy costs going up higher faster than states which aren't doing wind yeah. and solar which are staying with coal and natural gas you can't explain that it, it it defies logic to say it's cheaper but your rates are going up it defies logic when a utility says we're going to build cheaper offshore we're going to build cheaper wind we're going to build cheaper solar it's going to be good for consumers but we have to have rate increases to pay for it well hold it if they need rate increases then it ain't cheaper than what you got now uh, and they say, oh, well, uh, it's going to cost us money to pay for fuel for coal. Yeah, yeah. Instead of instead of cost plus 10% or 12% on building whole new uh, wind and solar uh, industrial wind farms, industrial uh, facilities, which, by the way, don't provide reliable energy. So you have to have backup. Yeah. So you've got to have redundancy. That adds to the cost. In the end... Uh, they're building more wind and solar than ever before. Al Gore's right, but it's making our energy more expensive and it's making our energy grid less reliable at the same time as people like Biden and Gore and the people he supports are putting greater and ever greater demand on the electric grid, right? If everyone's got to drive an electric car, you need more electricity and a better grid. If everyone's got to use electric appliances and, and nobody has waged a war on appliances like the Biden administration has. Um, you're going to have to have a better electric grid and more reliable energy. And yet at the same time as they're making more demands on the grid, they're making it ever less reliable, which is why data shows it's very clear as more and more wind and solar have been added to the system and as more demands have been placed on the system, people are having more and more blackouts. In, in California, it's summer. 
basically you can count on blackouts in summer. You don't have to wonder if it's going to happen this year. It happens yeah. every summer. Uh, in Texas, we got close during the summer, but oddly enough, a couple of years ago, we had for the first time ever, our power grid largely failed during the middle of winter. That's not peak power. That's not peak time for, uh, for Texas. And that's because we now have the largest uh, wind capacity of any state in the nation. Well, let's stay with it. So you're painting a, a dire, a grim picture of sort of politics influencing our energy system. Uh, but with this Inflation Reduction Act, isn't the money going to just keep pumping year after year and growing exponentially? Where if we don't, if nothing's done to alter this course, where are we going to be five years from now, ten years from now, uh, in terms of our energy grid? It, it can, it, it's, well, it, it'll be it'll be more prone to failure. You'll have more blackouts. You'll have more brownouts. You'll have more people dying due to uh, freezing during the winter because they can't pay their electric bills or their electricity doesn't work at all, their yeah. heating system. You'll have more people sweltering during the summer and dying uh, from heat stroke, which they'll then blame on climate change. They won't blame on the yeah. policies that shut off their power that they couldn't afford to run their electricity during the summer. Uh, they'll blame it on climate change. Um, you'll have... Uh, more poverty because this affects the poor the most. Energy poverty is worse for the poor. Then remember, if Al Gore's electric bill goes up a couple of hundred dollars a month, even he can he he can afford it. It's below his margin of error at the bank. Um, if it goes up for average folks by fifty dollars a month, they're like, okay, do I get my medicine this month? What what kind of food can I afford yeah. to buy this month? Can I pay my electric bill? Um, those are the kinds of trade-offs that real people have to make. Yeah, well, then you have, um, I remember South Africa in earlier last year, 2023, was praised for meeting its UN climate goals because they had unintentional blackouts. And it seems as though the Los Angeles Times editorial board took a inspirational page from South Africa because they started calling, they floated the idea of intentional blackouts uh, electrical blackouts to, in order to meet climate goals. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? And how do we get to a point where this mainstream media is now recommending for Americans, you know, blackouts to meet our climate goals? Well, the mainstream media is a bought and paid for uh, subsidiary of the Democratic, uh, of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. Uh, the Los Angeles Times doesn't care about average people. It cares about what elites care about. And... Um, it, you know, it, California is a, a a a great case study for what I was just saying about demands on the grid versus supply on the grid, right? So yeah. they have failures every summer. It's not it's not will it fail the summer? No, they they know it's going to fail at some point during the summer. So what have they done? They've said we got to have more solar panels on roofs. And we got to have more yeah. people driving electric vehicles. But then when the power failures come, they say, don't charge your electric vehicles. <laughs> Wasn't that within a well, few days they issued the, the EV thing? And then Governor Newsom said, you can't charge your EVs. Yeah, yeah. Last yeah. year. We, we, we're going to strict make our EV mandate stricter, but then don't charge that damn thing that we've told you you have to buy. So you can't get, <laughs> don't go to work. <laughs> don't don't go to the grocery store. Don't go to the doctor. Stay home because your, your vehicle is not, charging. Don't charge your electric vehicle, but buy an electric vehicle. 
just yeah. you know, but basically it's a nice um a lawn a driveway ornament or uh you know, the equivalent of a of a um one of those things that you put on your desk a, a paper uh, paperweight, yeah. <laughs> paperweight. Yeah, I mean the electric vehicles become paperweights. And and so what then they what do they also do in California? Well, when it gets really bad and constituents start to complain, I suspect uh, the wrong constituents for, for Newsom, he says, oh, oh well, we're going to waive environmental rules for a few days so you can put out pollution, pollution. In other words, you can run fossil fuels. You can run natural gas and diesel generators. Um, and we're going to allow the ports to, to do the same. And we're going to keep a nuclear plant that we plan that, that I've committed to closing that we've committed as at California for a long time to closing. We're going to, we're going to extend its license. Even though we hate it and it's dangerous and it's killing us, we're going to extend yeah. this license. Why? Because we've compromised our grid entirely. It's, yeah. Well, let's one more thing on California. They have a whole bunch of rules now, and I think Washington State, maybe even Oregon, about gas-powered uh, uh, landscaping equipment, leaf oh, blowers, sure. lawnmowers. How much emissions are those? And is that really have any impact on CO2 emissions? And are we saving the planet by banning that? And what impact does that have on you know, landscapers and people owning homes with yards? They probably well, shouldn't own a home in the first place, right? Because that's not good yeah, for global yeah, yeah. warming. Well, they should be and, stacked and, you know, in high residential apartments. Sorry. <laughs> to be fair, California is well on its way to that, right? You know, you can't afford a home. Yeah, you can't afford it. You can't afford it. So they're moving out of California in droves. Uh, it's 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 going to probably lose congressional seats in the next census because people are leaving and they're leaving because of high prices, high real estate, high energy prices, and unaf you know you can't work there. It, it, you, I, I don't know. But Honestly, Governor Newsom, know. well, Governor Newsom bragged it was the state that created the most billionaires during COVID. So isn't that something? <laughs> All government billionaires, probably government policy billionaires. It's, yeah. <laughs> well, what's interesting is I remember a time when the Democrats bragged about being the party of the average folk, the working yes. man, not the party of we're creating more billionaires. And and of course, <laughs> by, by the way, uh, not coincidentally, those guys are also funneling money to my reelection campaign or my presidential ambition yes. or whatever. And by right? the way, as a as, as a free market person, if you're creating billionaires because they're making something that's helping people, most of the billionaires, in fact, when he bragged about it, it was during that transfer of COVID, crushing the poor and middle class. And yeah. then, of course, all the big chain and retail were benefiting from that, from those policies, yeah, whether it's uh, Facebook. Yeah, or, during the during the time period when everyone was supposed to wear masks, but he was out having expensive dinner parties with no mask. Yeah, exactly. Which he which he apologized for, like, oh well, uh, yeah, that's that was bad. That was a bad image for me. Bad image? No, it's either bad policy or it's not bad policy. It wasn't an image problem that you had. It's that <laughs> you lied. You said it's dangerous, yeah, exactly. And then you, your own actions say it's not that dangerous. What about, okay, let's talk about EVs. It seems as though the ban on gas-powered cars, correct me if I'm wrong, was born in California. It was the executive order in Newsom, and then the California Air Resources Board. And then I'm in Virginia, so I'm one of the, I think it's 18 states that are now following that. And we don't have, the Republicans don't have the Senate. We didn't have the Senate, we couldn't fight that. So we're scheduled in my state for the timetable to ban gas-powered cars. Uh, and then, of course, Joe Biden's EPA. Tell us how, first of all, we'll, we'll get into uh, the, with the, the EVs, but what's happening with gas-powered cars? How doomed are they? Bay it through the state 
uh, executive orders and timetables that uh, that a lot of these states are following, and as Joe Biden's EPA, and even globally, you know, whether what the EU is doing, what is the future of gas-powered cars currently? Honestly, it's hard for me to predict. Um, yeah. So the federal government has uh, a, a plan that uh, um, I think sixty or seventy percent of vehicles sold by twenty thirty will be electric powered, will be non-emitting. Um, California's may be stricter than that. I'm not sure. Um, and the automakers have lockstepped bought into that. Uh, most of them, you know, sucking at the teat of the government themselves. They're, they're trying to backtrack now, though, you know, of course. But, but now yeah. they're trying to backtrack. Right. Ford, I, I think um, last year, Chevy sold 18, uh, 18 electric uh, of their electric trucks. 18, uh, not 18%, 18, 18, 18 no, literally 18. 18, 18 yeah. <laughs> they were probably the government officials or fleet buyers that were, you know, trying to virtue. <laughs> That's uh, funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that, that probably <laughs> they, they tried to drive them across the country and make a big hoopla about it and it failed. And, yeah. uh, you know, look, the best selling vehicle in the United States uh, for, I believe, 20 years running, not the best selling car, the best selling vehicle in total. Ford F-150 pickup truck. Yeah, People could choose the most fuel-efficient cars. They could do it. Even when gas prices are high, they could do it. <laughs> they don't. They choose the Ford F-150. What was the second best-selling vehicle? Well, the Chevy pickup truck. The third? Uh, the Dodge pickup truck. Yeah. SUVs. People care about more things than fuel efficiency. The government says, no, 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 you shouldn't. You should only care about one thing. Not hauling your kids, not hauling your boat, not being comfortable, not actually getting up to speed and getting on the highway. It should be fuel economy. And so you must buy electric. So what's going to happen? Uh, I'd like to say physics will <laughs> intervene. And that it doesn't matter what policymakers want. It matters what we can actually produce and deliver and what people will buy. My suspicion is that these deadlines will come and go. Remember, California's had a clean clean vehicle emission standard for, I think, more than a decade, maybe two decades, with, with, with deadlines, none of which have been met. And yet they didn't is stop selling cars in California. Yeah. Um, so they're not enforcing. They're, they're coming up with crazy stuff that they don't enforce is what you're saying. Yeah. To some extent. And I think that's what's going to, I think, I hope that's what happens here. Yeah. I'd love to see one of the automakers. I don't care which one. Just one of them say, you know what? Well, I think, I think Ferrari said this. We're not making electric vehicles. We're going to make internal combustion engines and we'll pay the price. There's a luxury tax on them. People are already paying the luxury tax for Ferraris. That's what people want. That's yeah. what we're going to make. I'd like to see Ford or Chevy or, I mean, GM or uh, I believe it's Stellantis that now makes the Chrysler. I I'd love to see them say, you know what? Uh, it's not going to make the government happy, but it's what consumers want. And we're going to sell a lot of vehicles because we're only going to make internal combustion engines. And uh, people will have to pay a, t a special fee for that because that's what it actually does. It doesn't ban them. It just says, if you make this and sell it, you'll, there'll be a fee on everyone you sell. It doesn't mean... Sorry about that. Uh, the perils of live radio. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, I'd like to see him say, no, we're actually going to satisfy consumer demand, not government demand, and make those vehicles. And when their sales take off compared to the others that are now making electric vehicles that, that they're having to buy out their Buick dealers, 
<laughs> they're, they, the, the dealers are saying, we're not putting these charging stations in. We'll never make the money back. So these, these battery-powered vehicles are sitting there losing charge that they can't sell. They're having to cut back production. Yeah, I just, uh, I, you know, I'd like to think physics and reality slaps in the face. Um, you can't, you can't get there from here. It, you can, you can enslave all the African children you want for the cobalt. There's not enough cobalt being produced to produce all the electric vehicles that uh, Joe Biden wants. You can get as many rare earths from China, refined from China. You can make us more and more dependent on China. You can do all that you want. It won't produce enough electric vehicles or the electricity to power those vehicles um, to meet those goals. That's physics. And I'd like to think physics might reign this in. Now, of course, we've got a presidential election. So who yeah. knows what will change with the presidential election? Remember, Congress has already uh, twice um, or, or, or multiple times passed bills that would block uh, Biden's efficiency wrecks. And right, the Republican Congress – Yes. Has passed it, but of course it dies in the Democrat Senate. But yes, they have. So they're pretty uh, well, even on the no, no, a few of them passed the Senate. A couple of them passed the Senate because some some moderate, uh, moderate, some uh some Democrats that from conservative states yeah. were a little bit more sensitive, uh sensible. They voted in favor of overturning these so they passed by a couple of votes but that's not enough to override the veto that that biden issued yeah wow all right we're talking with sterling burnett director of the arthur b robinson center on climate and environment policy at the heartland institute this is unleashed with mark Moreno. we'll be right back with our final segment after this De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The global temperature is largely a mythical value that has been developed over the years. We don't really know what the average global temperature is. Of the 70,000 plus weather stations on the planet now, it's 0.82 Fahrenheit above what it has been over the last 30 years. But that would make sense because during the wintertime, water vapor affects colder, drier air much more than it does warm humans. Air. In other words, if you look at the correlation between water vapor and temperature, you'll find that very small amounts of water vapor are correlated to big rises in temperatures. So naturally, when it's coldest, if there's more water vapor in the air due to the warming of the oceans, which is largely natural, temperatures are going to go up. There's no such correlation with CO2. But really, there's no fizzy oceans, which is largely natural. Temperatures are going to go up. There's no such correlation with CO2. But really, there's no physical reality as a global temperature. Even pretending that a global temperature is an imaginary thing, NASA has nothing close to a record of temperatures from around the world stretching back to 18. Since at best global temperatures total guesswork, where are the error bars when they put these temperatures out? 96% of the best U.S. temperature stations today are not accurate to within one degree Celsius. But NASA pretends, for example, knows precisely what the global temperature is from 1880. It's absurd. Now, I took instrumentation when I was in college. 95% of the error bias back then on thermometers was they would read warm. You had to constantly keep them upkept. The moral of the story is, as we head into the new year, rational people should not be concerned about a climate apocalypse. As a matter of fact, if it is a bit warmer, we're in a climate optimum. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog Meteorologist Joe Bastardi 
asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. <laughs> My baby's back from the West Coast. <laughs> Hear those pictures that you asked for for your school project? First day of school, cute as a button. <laughs> so long ago. Oh, here's Grandma Florence after that flood wiped out the whole neighborhood. Sometimes I just cannot believe all the storms we've gone through here. I can only hope that we'll be able to leave this house to you one day, baby. You're our legacy. Planning for these disasters will make sure we're safe. And it's the best way to protect that legacy. Ah, those bees smell heavenly. Mm -hmm. Give Mom a little credit. You know what? We should make an emergency communication plan. That way we're ready this year. Oh, great idea. At my dorm, we have emergency kits for earthquakes and wildfires, but I'm sure there's something more local I can send you with the link. Okay. Smart. I'm coming to share with you guys. Protect your legacy. Plan for natural disasters today. Visit ready.gov forward slash plan. Mark Morano is unleashed, and he's taking on the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, and the United Nations on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. TNT. Welcome back to Unleashed uh, with Mark Morano on TNT. We're continuing with uh, Sterling Burnett of the, the Policy Energy Climate Analyst at the Heartland Institute. Uh, welcome back, Sterling. Okay, let's finish up with EVs. Uh, I, there was news this week, actually it was today's Fox Business, about a Chinese EV company now surpassing uh, Elon Musk uh, in terms of size, possibly sales. And you have the EU so afraid of the coming dominance of Chinese electric vehicle makers that they're considering tariffs against China. And China's passing US, South Korea, I believe, and even these productions. So if we were to go all EV, it seems like the handwriting's on the wall that China is going to have a monopoly on the entire EV industry. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, look, in truth, they could already do that. Uh, they control the minerals that go into making up these EVs. Uh, yes. All the minerals, all the metals, they, if they don't do the mining themselves, they do all the refining. You can't build a refinery for rare earths or lithium or anything in the United States. It's impossible. You can't do it in Europe. The environmental wrecks stop it. So China controls all. So if they wanted to, they could shut down all the, the manufacturing anywhere else down today just by saying, we're not going to allow the export of our rare earths and the minerals. We're not going to allow the finished products. Um, in the end, every, every step in energy that the leaders of Western countries and the U.S., you know, including the U.S., but also the European Union, Every step they're taking is making us more and more dependent on China for our energy. Is that really a good look? You know, you, you look, look at what happened to Europe this past year because of their dependence on Russia for natural gas, yeah. which they fostered. They, they, they blocked a pipeline from Israel through Greece. Uh, they and the Biden administration blocked that. Uh, to build one from Russia. And then when it failed and, and uh, the, the war started, their prices shot through the roof. Is it really a wise idea? Do we think China has our, our best interest in mind when we make ourselves more and more dependent on their technologies for our energy and economic future? I think that's a foolish thought. You know, I think anyone but someone who stumbles everywhere they go and mumbles and sniffs hair would recognize that this is a really bad idea. 
I'm trying to think who you're who you're referring to. I can't. Yeah. Can't come up with anyone. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> All right. Well, in, in, very briefly, what's wrong with an EV? You have, you know, Secretary Granholm. Remember, she had NPR, and so she drove cross country in her EV, and so did Pete Buttigieg. And what could go wrong? We had billions. I think it was almost eight billion dollars spent for this national EV charging grid. How many chargers have been built? Everything seems to be falling into place, or not. Uh, zero charters have been built despite the <laughs> billions of dollars. Uh, Grand home couldn't make it from DC to Florida. Um, <laughs> yeah, sort of. it, it took her days. It took her days. She she bragged about when she drove from Detroit, from her old stomping grounds, Michigan to Washington, D.C. No one asked, well, how long did it take you? She says, I passed all those gas stations and just <laughs> laughed all the way. I wasn't paying those prices. Yeah. Well, yeah. That. Except I had to stop three days as opposed to driving overnight and getting there, uh, stay, paying at hotel rooms and hoping my EV charge. And then on the trip to Florida, they couldn't even get the EV charge. In fact, there was big brouhaha when she, uh, when her handlers went and blocked people from using chargers because she was on her way and needed a charge emergency. So they just, yeah, it was in August and, charge. and there was, there was a baby in the car. Yeah. They blocked someone with a baby in the car in a hot day yeah. in August is what I recall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, these things are are, are, are brilliant. Fires are, are dangerous. Insurers are starting to stop covering them. They're going to stop covering. Uh, this may be the thing that stops China, unless China is going to start insuring these things. Is shipping uh, ships are going to cease year. carrying electric vehicles because too many of them are going catching fire and going down. You can't put the fires out in these ships, and so they're sinking, taking their uh, expensive cargo to the bottom of the sea. Um, you, and, and right now in New York last year, there were more fires from electric vehicle fires, scooters, as well as cars than any other single cause. How many people have to die? Like I said, honestly, they took the Corvair off the road within what, two, three years because of one book and it, it and he hasn't accounted for anywhere near as many deaths as electric uh, yeah. vehicles right here in in india in france it doesn't matter where they are they're dangerous they are unsafe not at speed just sitting there in your driveway in your garage mm. i won't have one in my house you want an ev your business i shouldn't have to pay for it i shouldn't have to subsidize it but if you want it that's your business i say go for it but i shouldn't have to pay for your charging stations I shouldn't have to pay for your liability insurance. You know, basically, I shouldn't have to pick up the tab for your fetish. And of course, that fetish is is now gone global with the ban on gas power, attempted bans on gas powered car and mandates. Yeah. What about the weight issues with parking garages? Is that a real thing? I keep reading articles, but is that just sort it's, of hype or is that real? No, like, it's, it's, that not, it's not just it's not just parking garages. It's it's roads themselves, right? Electric right, vehicles largely don't pay. You know, there are some states where they have a fee now on electric vehicles to try and make up for the fact that they don't pay a gas tax. They're still using right. roads that are paid for with gas taxes, but they have a fee to pay for it. But their fee is not sufficient because they don't account for the weight of electric vehicles. They simply are heavier, much heavier on a, a size basis than your average, uh, you know, gasoline powered uh, internal combustion engine vehicle. And roads weren't. You you create roads expecting certain weights, certain amounts of mileage. Uh, they weren't created for 
70% of the nation to be driving electric vehicles. Neither were parking garages. You know, we've had instances where yeah. uh, they've started to collapse. And, and it's not a random place where they collapse. They collapse under the electric vehicle. It's, it's not random. All right. Well, I'm sorry we're out of time. I wanted to get the offshore wind and the whale issue, yeah, but thank you so much. This has been Sterling Burnett with the Heartland Institute. They're a policy expert. And by the way, I quoted you, featured you in my book, Green Fraud. You have a lot of uh, citations in there and quotes. Appreciate your work. Uh, Sterling Burnett, check him out at the Heartland Institute website. This has been Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. Student, see you tomorrow.